Welcome to Practical Theology, a podcast series by Battle Creek Friends Church. Our hope is that by listening, you feel equipped in your faith to speak out in confidence about what you believe and live it out. We're here to help you seek the Lord throughout your day. So here's your host, Bible teacher, father, husband, and guy who likes cookies, Leo Wilson. Hello, my name is Leo Wilson, and this is the first episode of Practical Theology. What is practical theology? Let's start with some definitions. Um, Theology is made up of two Greek words, uh, the word theos meaning God and ology meaning the study of. And so practical side of it is things that apply to our lives, how we can put the study of God, understanding more of God into our practice of everyday lives, how it impacts our lives personally. Now, why does it matter to us? Well, as Christian representatives, people who try to represent Christ to the world, also being created in God's image, what we know of God will impact the purpose we have in life, um, how we live out our lives, and also maybe intense of well, confidence, the hope of overcoming patterns of the world. All of the study of God will allow you to see who you are meant to be through his eyes. The goal here in Practical Theology is to take you uh, on a journey where we build a bridge. And this bridge takes things of God that are maybe more abstract, for lack of a better word, and becomes more concrete and real. Um, To that point, it then becomes more of your environment, the world around you. You see aspects of God as you look out in the world, not only knowing they're real, but that they're present. And then finally, to become deeply personal to you. This is what is really significant to me. Um, In my life, uh, I had a great home growing up. Uh, I didn't attend church. I wasn't a believer. But when I received Christ, my life became much more impactful to myself, like to understanding, to having meaning, to having confidence, and to knowing I'm saved. That's what I hope everybody gets today. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating even joints and marrow. The word of God can impact us deeply. So why is it when we hear it sometimes, it doesn't move us so quickly? Or maybe we hear it and it's like, I don't really understand how that makes any difference to my life. Well, we have a problem. It's called sin. Um, The fall, when man fell away from God, created this barrier and it's a hindrance for us. So how does this podcast help? Well, I didn't make this up on my own. This is actually something I learned from scripture. Um, God specifically he knows we have this problem. So what did he do? You know, he, he tells us that he's the creator of the world. In Genesis, he lays out the purpose of life slightly. And then he goes to, after the fall, um, helping man, you know, giving him set up of rules. And not only that, he appears before them in a pillar of fire, taking them through the wilderness as he's delivering them from Egypt. And he's trying to work in our lives and we still struggle against him. Well, finally, he, he knows, you know, he sends prophets. He's got kings set up to, to allow people to see more of him. He's working with us because we wanted kings instead of him being our king. Anyway, we get all the way to the point where he's like, fine, I get how I'm going to deal with this. I'm coming down. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ comes down and he is personal with us. He is here. We can see him. He is tangible. There's not much more practical than that, than God standing by you, helping you see the purpose of life, seeing you how to live out theology, the understanding of God. And that's what we're hoping to do today. We're hoping that through these podcasts, 
we can transcend some of those barriers, that we can become more personal in our understanding of God, and that it'll apply to people, not only ourselves, but the people around us. Like my hopes of sharing this with you today, that it'll impact you and it'll help you change the way that I've experienced, the way that God has changed me. So let's get started. The first topic will be justice. And I know some people are like, wow, love isn't the first topic. Well, actually, this ties into love um, very much so. And we'll get to that at the end. But let's start out with just the idea that God is just. Isaiah 40, 14 says, says this. And, and to divine justice, before we get into that, um, it's to do what is morally right as defined by the very nature of God. And scripture says there in Isaiah 40, 14, whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path for understanding? Nobody. God, God himself is what is just. His nature is what makes him just. So why do we struggle with justice then? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. The first one is maybe the way that the world has thrown out different definitions of justice rather than just what God says we should do. Um, two words here, egalitarian justice. And that's, that concept is just everyone gets the same thing. Everyone gets the same stuff. You know, everybody gets the blue ribbon, for example. That would be more of an egalitarian justice. And then there's this other uh, category that falls into distributive justice. That's the idea that it's distributed to people according to like what they deserve, right? Their actions, their deeds, their choices. So distributive means it's according to what you've done. So which one is God? Well, first, just because God loves everyone and wishes everyone to be saved doesn't mean that he would be egalitarian, right? For example, uh, you can see how some people might confuse this. If you look at John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gives his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Well, notice the first part there, yes, it applies to everybody. But the second part there is very uh, distributive justice, which is it's whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So don't confuse the idea of love and justice, although they, we'll see how they connect in the end. We shouldn't confuse the idea that God loves everybody, but justice is based on how we respond. Um, Psalm 37, 28 says this, For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. The offspring of the wicked will perish. See, once again, distributive justice. How about this, Matthew 25, 41 through 46? Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or a sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Once again, you see a distributive form of justice. God is just according to what we deserve, right? And really, we all deserve, as sinners, condemnation. But through grace, we are saved so you see balances here, but definitely God is not egalitarian. He is distributive. He, multiple times he talks about how our choices, our relationship specifically with him, is what brings justice or not through grace. 
Well, another important note is none of God's attributes require him to give everyone the same thing. Nothing of studying scripture and seeing God says, well, he's got to treat everybody exactly the same way. Nothing is there for that. Nothing supports that. We definitely see more of a distributive justice in the pattern of throughout scripture. This also shouldn't be understood as the prosperity gospel. In other words, you do good things, you get good things. You do bad things, you get bad things. Because justice is more than just about our instant gratification here on the earth. As a matter of fact, it's more than just earthly things altogether. It's about eternity. There's a just part that concerns eternity, which specifically is salvation. So let's get into more of the practical side of this. Why does theology matter? I have a story here. It's a story about Panita. Panita was 14 when she was taken from her home in Thailand to Malaysia by sex traffickers. She arrived in a city that she had never seen before and was told that she had been sold. She was told that she had to have sex with between 5 and 10 clients each night, every night, if she was to pay off the debt. If she refused, she would be beaten and would not be allowed to eat. She was allowed to sleep between the hours of 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. and locked in a barred room with seven other slave girls and was forbidden from even putting her head out the window. Helpless and terrified, she sat on her bed waiting. Okay, now months earlier, there's another story that's taking place. Thousands of miles away, a group of lawyers and investigators had seen something of character of God when they were doing a theology study, a Bible study. They had read Amos, the Psalms, and Isaiah and encountered God who had championed the cause of orphans and widows and victims. Reading passages like this, Amos 5.12, For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Psalm 10, 16 through 18. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. Psalm 72, 12 through 14. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who cry and have no help, no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Isaiah 1, 17 and 18. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. This group of lawyers reading these attributes of not only talking about justice, but also talking about defending the needy, the orphan, the widow. They hear this and they allow it to penetrate their joints and marrow, their bones. And they hear this and they take it into action and they develop a group called the International Justice Mission or IJM. And they put it into effect. Well, here's where the two stories combine. Panita never saw her first client. The night she was going to start, a raid was conducted with local police based on an undercover investigation done by IJM. She was set free without ever having to pay or prostitute herself. And 94 other girls were released in the same series of raids. 94 rape victims were made in the image of God who were set free because some lawyers they had never met read their Bibles, studied theology, and discovered something about the character of a living God. Theology matters. We are to love God and love others, right? There is no stronger way to point this out and how significant this bond is than the idea of justice and stories like Panita and how you love people and you know that there's justice. So through your actions, you're going to try to be both. Ravi Zacharias has 
a great quote. He says, you can judge people without loving them, but you can't love without being just. Well, this is, this is true. Um, this actually brings us to the next struggle, I think, that we, we get into. Um, it's sometimes hard to treat individuals when you see something wrong as both loving and just, because you have to keep both of those in your mind, especially in a culture where we, we tend to have a double standard brought to us in the world. For example, and I, don't, I would hope this wouldn't be in the Christian world, but it, it happens throughout everything. Um, the idea that on one hand, where is this just God when evil happens? When we see things like a uh, story of Panita that we know these occur, it's like, where is God to stop that before it even occurs? That's not fair. He should get involved. He's not just. And then on the other hand, when he talks about the things we should do with our bodies, the idea of how we um, conduct ourselves in sexual relationships or any relationship, and we say, well, I mean, who is, what does scripture have to say to me doing things. It's my body. I can do what I want. Or even on the concept of abortion where people use the argument, I don't think it's right to tell women what to do with their body. Well, uh, God says a lot about life, knowing child even in the womb. Why do we get to pick what the woman does with her body and God doesn't get to say that? Who's defending the child? It's a double standard of justice there. See, on the one end, it's like, well, we expect God to enter in. It's not just for those bad things to happen. And then all of a sudden, when it affects us in some way, it's like, uh, who is God to tell me what to do in this situation? This double double standard of justice, we see all the time in our world. Um, and it's sad because what it means is you don't really look for justice. You look for your own judgment. You're, you're your God at that point. So what about Ravi's quote there, justice and love and how they merge? Well, I, I think about this as a, as a parent, right? When it comes to disciplining children, imagine if your child, imagine if you tell them that you love them and you've got two children and you tell them that you love them and there are rules in your household. And then when one breaks the rule, like he punches the other one in the face, uh, you are like, oh, that's okay. Yeah, it's a rule, but it's okay. How does the one feel that got punched in the face? Do you think he's going to feel safe? Do you think that he's thinking that I love him because I'm protecting him? I don't think so. I think if you let enough of those rules go, you'll realize that, okay, even though there's a, a standard of love, there's no accountability for it. So it doesn't really seem like it's significant. Does he really love me if it's never enforced? I love you, but I'll never hug you. I'll love you, but I'll never protect you. That's not love. And the reason why is because justice isn't involved. True love has a principle of justice involved in it. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, episode and uh, I hope that it brings you to live out more of these things, such as how to balance justice and love in your relationships in life, how to show it to people, organizations, and your family. This has been an episode of Practical Theology. Until next time, go and live it out.